Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by WitchSchool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Chicago Pagan. Uh, I'm Ed the Pagan, um, affectionately now known as Sir Ed Carell, as I've moved the Order of Paladins into trying to provide service for the day. And now we're going to come along, and I want to remind you of some great events. People have asked, what do you, what do I uh, want on the show? What do you want to hear about? And you can always check out our group, Chicago Pagans, on Facebook. And we have a page on Facebook called Chicago Pagan. So if you look up Chicago Pagan, uh, you're most likely to find us and a group of uh, great people in and around our amazing city. You know, And our city is a historical city. It is, has more magic in it than most people would imagine. It's not just any place. It's a magical place. As once Brad Stryker once called, the psychic capital of the new world. And that's a really great concept in of it. So some events that are coming up, people want to remind me. Thank you for everyone who listened to our first episode with Twyla, and uh, right now more than a 1,000 people have downloaded that show, which is a really good start for this network, and of course, as a podcast, it'll always be there. And it'll join the 3,075 other episodes that I have worked with, uh, so many great voices that are part of the Witch School radio station we are. But now for episode 3,076, I'm going to bring a person who's been my personal friend for a very long time, Alan Selmy. And uh, he's been my personal friend for a very long time, um, more years than I care to mention. Okay, more than 25 years. Yeah, since uh, I've known him from very early on. He's been a source of fountain of knowledge and information, and has taken a radically different pro- uh, path than I have over time. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But one of the things you need to know about Alan Solomon that everybody loves in the community is that he's one of the friendliest, and he's one of the most popular people in our community in the sense of, who do you want to have a beer and a conversation with? Everybody turns to Alan. And we push our little buttons. And and hopefully, like magic, Alan's here with us. Hopefully the magic is working. Yes. <laughs> Glad to be here, Ed. Well, good. Um, so, Alan, I'm going to go ahead and just start. So why don't you give us a little bit of your comic book origins? How did you originally get involved with all of this magical stuff, this sort of city of Chicago style stuff? Because you're not from Chicago. You're very proud of the fact that you're from, oh, what is it called? The Upper uh, Peninsula of Michigan. Yes, I'm a youper from the UP, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. You could tell that, by the way, did I talk sometime, you know, hey, you betcha. There's a particular kind of accent for those people up there, you know. <laughs> but uh, I spent uh, my first 18 years up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, actually I started my spiritual quest up there. Uh, amazingly enough, in this uh, in the small town that I uh, I'm from, which is the Houghton and Hancock area, there was actually quite a bit of uh, of, of choice. Um, I started off. Uh, actually, my brother is to blame for some of my spiritual quest. He he told me, uh, you should do some yoga since you can't do some, some other kinds of exercise. Because I had had heart surgery when I was seven years old, and I, the doctor said to kind of keep within certain limits. And I said, what's yoga? And he said, there's a book on it over there, which was a, a frequent answer in my household. Look it up. And, uh, and I started to read about it, and I was like, well, wait a minute. There's some philosophy and ideas behind this. And 
I hadn't been exposed to um, really the big ideas like where does the universe come from? What's our place in it? And that started me on my original quest. I, I was even reading uh, Alan Watts in seventh grade, The Way of Zen and everything. And um, uh, I went to a community schools class when I was about 14. Uh, it was a Hatha yoga course. And after a couple of years, the teacher said, I'm going on vacation. You teach the class. <laughs> and, and after a few times like that, I took over the course and I was a I was a teenager teaching uh, uh, hatha yoga in the mid 70s, and as I tell people, I wish I would have kept it up. I'd be running a string of studios with uh, people in tights running back and forth all day. But uh, I kind of let that go uh, once I hit college. But uh, uh, I continued my spiritual quest when I went to Ann Arbor. Uh, I would go to um, meditation classes at the uh, Kashmir Shaivite Muktananda Ashram, and then uh, walk over to the Quaker meetings. So I was really digging into a lot of different things, even in my hometown. So, I had a neighbor who was a Baha'i, so, so I did all of that. So when did you feel like, when did you move into, like, the pagan world? I mean, you sound like you've been, you took a long, and if anyone knows Alan, Alan is deep in knowledge. I mean, he's layers thick and knowledgeable pieces, and we can always pick it apart, but I would like to know the one thing I never really knew, this is one of those questions, when did you actually decide you were a pagan? Or did you, did you ever decide you were a pagan? Oh, yeah. Well, the funny thing happened was uh, some friends of mine in college said, Alan, you've got to read this book. And what the book was was Real Magic by I- the late Isaac Bonowitz. And uh, what what Bonowitz uh, did in that book is he gives a, a somewhat mechanistic uh, model, but he explains how every religion could could work. You know, if you pray to Krishna, why does that work? If you pray to Jesus, why does that work? And he put it all in the format of the laws of magic. He he actually wrote his own degree and got a bachelor's in magic and thaumaturgy from the University of California. Uh, interestingly enough, after he got that degree and it made the papers, the University of California then forbade anybody to do a self, uh, self-declared self degree in any occult studies. But, uh, but that book, uh, it, it gave me a, a sense of, wait a minute, there are some answers out there. And there's a whole model and a whole way of understanding things, the, the whole esoteric side that I didn't know about. And from there, um, I started to read more. And when I moved to Chicago in, oh, November of, that was 1984. Yeah, I've been in Chicago that long. Um, I actually came across my first teacher, uh, Krista Hyden Landon, who's now up in Paganistan in in Minneapolis. And I did a beginning uh, paganism course with her. And uh, shortly after that, I met my more permanent teacher, Althea Northajor, at a at a um, Beltane festival in 1985. So um, uh, that that sort of ensconced me into that path and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, from from that experience and reading that, I went, okay, this is a label that I could take. I could certainly take pagan and. Uh, for quite some time, I just called myself a simple pagan. Uh, 
because I wasn't initiated or dedicated or anything on that path, you know. But uh, I still continue to recommend Bonowitz's book to people because uh, if you read Bonowitz's book, you don't need a spell book. He gives you all of the things you need to do in order to put together your own spells, for instance. Absolutely. So you've been basically, you have been an amazing scholar. Um, People are probably waiting for your books, Alan, more so than you actually think. And we're going to get into a little bit about, you know, uh, uh, where people think. So, so one of the questions that came up with me is that people want to know about your personal kind of your personal your thoughts because everybody knows that you're knowledgeable. If you don't know he's knowledgeable, mm-hmm. check out some of the videos that are out there, some of the other material. You can teach classes all day long, and and you have, and you've been able to. Wow, 1984. Do you feel like you're a Chicagoan yet, or do you still feel like you're you really belong in Upper Michigan? Being here that long. Oh. You know, there's a, there's a certain saying that once a youper, always a youper. But but okay. really, I mean, I've I've lived in Chicago more than any other place. So I think of myself as a Chicagoan. But my roots in the Upper Peninsula, specifically that little part that sticks out into Lake Superior, it's called the Copper Country. So so I've got my roots there, but but my branches and leaves grew in in Chicago. <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. And you've really been a part of the pagan community, you know, for a very long time. You worked through all the identity work, you've been through all the changes, but you've been fortunate enough to avoid, I would say, most of the political messes that have been out there. You're not, you've not been much of what we would call a politician. Hmm? You've not. You've for the most part, yeah. My, my Althea has has managed to to kind of uh, thread her way through a lot of those political things, and and not really be on any particular side and and she's sort of set the example for the group you know um there are a few people that well you and i know that are problematic in the community but that happens in every spiritual in in every spiritual community because we're made up of people and people have have their inklings and their faults and their ways of doing things and some people are more rigid in interpretations of things than than others you know um but yeah, I I'm not political really within the the pagan community. I'm I'm political otherwise. I, I have helped with some campaigns and, and things like that, especially in the last couple of years. But that's where I put my political leanings. And it's worked well because everybody loves you go out to all the parties. I mean, people really do um this is something I found out at so some people have asked me to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Um, and this is part of the new Chicago Pagan Network. We're part of the old Pagan Morality. If you don't know who I am, look me up. I've, Chicago is a source, you know, was where all of the – before podcasting, it was radio. But before, before early radio, there was very little paganism until we came along. And Alan was actually a part of that movement as well. Um, he was one of the earliest people I interviewed, oh, in the 90s. But we won't talk about that right now. Um, so, they asked me, so, so one of the questions is, is that are you single? Am I single? Yes, I am single. I've been asked this question. Are you single? I'm looking. Okay. Um, Do you really – so people ask me, one of the other questions I've gotten a couple of times, do you really know – does he really know all the people that he talks about? And the answer is – you're you're authentic, right? Do I really know all the people that I talk about? 
Yes, you always mention that I've met this person, I've met that person, and people are always blown away about how many people you've met. Oh, and, well, that's an easy one. Um, one of the things that I've learned is um, I certainly get a lot of my education from books. I mean, just tell my friends who, when I got sick four years ago, they had to move my 5,000 books. Um, but uh, but one of the things that I delight in, which is a little interesting for an introvert, which I really am, is is uh, meeting and, and hanging out with interesting and unusual people. And because I've been to Starwood Festival, for instance, for many years, you know, a lot of the major authors were brought in there. There were Robert Anton Wilson and Timothy Leary and um, – and, uh, you know, a variety of folks like that. And then in the astrological community, I've gone to some of the conferences and I got to meet some of the top astrologers in the world and gotten to know them. Um, also, the other thing is, like a lot of other pagans, uh, I've also been a science fiction fan for many years. And so I've gone to conventions. I've been to, I think it's been four or five world conventions. And, uh, Oh my God! You know, you get a chance to party with the authors. I, I actually uh, years ago I met George R. R. Martin, the Game of Thrones guy. Um, that's when I, that's that was even before Game of Thrones came out. I had read two of his books, and uh, one of my better times was coming up to him as he was sitting on a bed at a party in the hotel, and I I said to him, Mr. Martin, I want to say something to you that I never said to any other man. And he looked up at me kind of quizzically. And, and I said, thank you for many pleasurable hours in bed. So, so it's, it's been wonderful. And I seek out these people. Um, the, the science fiction community is, is if you never get a chance, if you ever get a chance to go to a science fiction convention, you'll meet all sorts of folks there. And the, and the pagan presence has been there for 30 years. You know, my first ritual was actually at a convention in Toronto at Ad Astra Convention, uh, where I met a bunch That's of witches. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I, I was actually, yeah, I was actually in a, in, oh, yeah, it was some experience, definitely. <laughs> it was quite interesting. So, I, I, a matter of fact, that was one of my influences where I said, wait a minute, um, these people I know, they're smart and they're not crazy, but they're doing this witchcraft stuff. And I knew that any belief system, people had to have reasons for it, and it had to be internally consistent. And that was, uh, that was one of the things, aside from Bonowitz's book, that, uh, that moved me into the pagan realm, was actually meeting other pagans and witches uh, at science fiction conventions. So... So yeah, I've met a lot of folks, and I enjoy meeting them and, and hanging out with them, and 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 it's it's wonderful to have connected with all of these folks, you know. So, that's, so the answer is yes. Alan actually doesn't talk about anything that he is and doesn't actually know, because you're willing to use the words, and like myself, I don't know. Hmm. Oh um, yeah. No, there's but there's you always still have a plenty connection. of stuff that I don't know. You know a connection that can get you the answer. So that's a very interesting thing about Alan. And, converse, and as a conversationalist, I've seen that you've been a very broad conversationalist in the world. You're able to have a conversation. And unlike most people, 
you have the ability to listen to listen and not just to respond. That's a really interesting skill. Um, would you agree with that? that that's one of your well, skills? I think some of that training, um, maybe some of the folks don't know, I've also been trained in three different types of psychotherapy. So obviously so. listening, listening is, is one of the, the major skills for being a therapist, you know. Um, uh, I, on that academic side, I got a master's in social work from University of Michigan uh, that was focused on families and groups. And then uh, mm-hmm. when I hit Chicago, I, I got training in hypnosis and in neurolinguistic programming and then this marvelous thing called Hakomi, which was a body-centered psychotherapy that talked a lot about the mind-body connection, which I found to be quite fascinating. So um, so all of that led to me having at least some, some listening skills. Although if you talk to some of my friends, yeah, I can get into a pedantic mood and I, I need to sometimes uh, ramp that back a little bit. I have to be conscious about it, you know. I could keep on jabbering about things, you know, and you've certainly heard me go on for a while, but it's a fault that I'm aware of. <laughs> oh, that's good. I mean, and, and yes, um, well, I like it. I mean, sometimes you, you've done some, said some very amazing things and you, you've changed people's lives. I know of it. All right. So the next question I've got, and that's from out there is really, so I don't know why you make me ask these questions, but they want, since you've gotten a degree in psychology, people have said that you've been very repayable. And you know a lot of uh, the polyamorous, like Phaedra and Oberon, you Morning Glory. You know a lot of these people, and you spoke favorably of it. Do you, do you yourself, uh, think that as, as part of your life? Is that polyamory moment anything a part of it? This idea of polyamory. How much can you tell us? Can you yeah. overwrite in the formation of this in some ways in the thinking that people have identified? I did not actually know this until I talked to somebody recently about this. Hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I've been I've been aware of polyamory. Um, again, this is another thing from uh, science fiction conventions. When I was in Ann Arbor, there was actually a four-person marriage, and those folks were known and accepted in the community. And if, one thing that science fiction fans do is they're oftentimes willing to break social conventions in various ways. So it wasn't unusual to run into something like that. Um, I think it was more in college that I started to realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't particularly have any kind of jealousy. Um, And as I look back on my life, uh, there was things that happened even in high school where I, I, I have this particular quirk where if I'm dating somebody and somebody else is interested in them, I think of that as kind of a, a compliment to me. That, oh, you know, they're interested, they, they think that person's good too, and, and that person is with me, so, you know, maybe I'm worth something too. You know, it's a particular kind of cognitive quirk that I have. Um, I've been in uh, one, maybe two polyamorous relationships myself, but the way that I think of it as, um, I think that I'm more of what I would call a monopole poly. Usually one relationship is enough for me. I just don't mind if somebody else is with other people. So, you know, it's, it's kind of that sort of formation, but uh, I've known some of the folks in the poly community, like for instance, Oberon. And when she was here in Chicago, I I was friends with cunning minx 
who started the Polyamory Podcast, Polyamory Weekly, and she's over 300 shows now. Absolutely wonderful resource for poly people and for monogamous people, too. A lot of monogamous people listen to that because she has really good advice about relationships. She's a very deep thinker about relationships. She's read a lot, and she's run into a lot of situations. So um, so I definitely recommend that. Um, so I would say that I'm polyamorous, but um, but one relationship is usually enough for me. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of uh, a, a little bit there of a you go, folks. In that way. And yeah. so people don't. So so uh, for full disclosure, um, Alan and I, along with Mark Mandrake and a couple of others, were the uh, original founders of Chicago Pagans, the the group. And uh, and Alan's been a moderator since it began, for all practical purposes, right? And so everybody asked me, what is it with this Monte Python question? Asking everybody to come in with a Monte Python question. Why do you do that? I actually know the reason, but I want you to explain it in your own words. If you don't know what I'm okay. talking about, go to the group Chicago Pagans and join. This is a great way to keep up with the information, and you'll see this question. I don't want you to change it either, but if you want to go see this question, join Chicago Pagans, the group on Facebook right now. We'll prove you later, but this is it. Hmm? Go ahead. Right, right. Well, I decided that um, we needed a couple of questions just to kind of weed out people. Uh, if you don't have the ambition enough to answer questions, why would we uh, – just two questions, why would we even want you in the group, you know? And so that's been actually pretty successful yeah. at keeping out, keeping out people who are just there to, to be trolls and that sort of thing. And the first question was pretty obvious. What's your interest in nature, religion, and paganism? What are your experiences? Uh, the second one I threw in a little bit as a joke, uh, which was what's the airspeed velocity of, an, of a coconut-laden swallow? And the reason for that is if you go to any pagan event, or in fact, if you're at a science fiction convention or a Mensa event for the High IQ Society, you will hear all sorts of references to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So it gave me an opportunity to throw something in there. And actually, four years ago when I was really ill, I was seeing a plethora of doctors. Um, I was in the hospital for a month. I was in a rehab hospital for another month. And so I was running across. So one of the things that I asked these doctors was that very same question. And I knew that my doctor was cool or at least a broad thinker or had at least a similar interest if they were able to answer that question about what's the airspeed velocity of a coconut-laden swallow. So um, it, it, it kind of was, uh, it's, it's a joke. It doesn't matter to me what the person answers. But some people will know that answer. And, uh, and uh, other folks, I, I periodically announce on the, on the group that uh, if you don't know it, you should probably see that movie because you'll miss about half the humor in the pagan community with people uh, quoting from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, just because it's absurd and funny and a lot of fun. And for those of you under 30, it's like watching the craft or practical magic. It was our version of that. I don't care what people said. Sorry. I'm finding out a lot of younger people do not know what Monty Python is. And their references are much younger. Hmm? Um, mm-hmm. They make a lot yeah. of craft. I, I found that out. They make a lot of craft jokes out there. And we'll talk a lot more to uh, younger things. I've invited uh, uh, more uh, younger. I've uh, invited. I'm not going to out them because I want them to make it their own choice. But I've invited uh, people across the thing 
Uh, the show here that we're going to do here on Chicago Pagans is going to be, at the beginning, we want to introduce everybody to everybody. And I think one of the important parts of Alan's story, um, and it's very important to us, um, was it four years ago or five years ago now? Is it four years or five years? Five years. Four years. Um, About four and a half. Four and a half. You're right. It's January. I remember it was in January. So I asked Alan to be president mm-hmm. of Wishful. As everybody knows, I started to move on, started Nature of the Recyclers. I wanted to expand my horizons, but I do not like to leave projects behind to fall apart, and they never do. Um, and, and that's how we have impact because we keep moving projects forward. And Alan's been a guy who's been able to help me with so many projects, including keeping my brain stitched together, um, which is not the easiest task in the world because my brain – isn't like everybody's brain. Just trust me. Not everybody's. Some people say, "Oh, I'm just like everybody else." No, I I, I don't believe that of you, but I certainly know better of myself. And so I need a first-rate psychologist, somebody who can help me keep it together, who doesn't think like everybody else. And Alan's one of those people. Hmm. And Alan, one of the things oh, I knew could... about Alan, for... huh? What's that? Yeah, I was happy to help. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um. And, you know, because my life is very unusual. But one of the things that's unusual, I get to meet unusual people. And Alan was, a, was as a young man, like you said, had a surgery, and you had a heart valve replaced, right? Everybody knows this. And and right before you did witch school, right, the day before we were going to accept the witch school position, you had a moment that changed the way the whole world worked for you again, right? Um, it was pretty dramatic, are to, yeah. Are you open to talking about this? Oh, sure, sure. A lot of folks know my story. Um, It was, uh, I believe it was January 15th of 2015. And uh, I woke up, it was, I believe it was a Friday morning. And uh, it felt to me like I had the flu. My whole body was out of it. I actually got up and uh, tried to get out of bed and I fell. And it was like one of those commercials. Oh, my God, I've fallen and I can't get up. Took me about five Mm -hmm. minutes to get it together and, and... crawl back into bed and um, I slept for another hour or two and then called into work and uh, after about an hour I, I slept a little bit more and then I said this isn't good I'm not I'm not feeling good at all and a few years before that I had uh, a dear friend of mine Tom Morris uh, he he had the flu and actually died at home and uh, Tom was much missed a wonderful fellow but uh, that was a warning shot, and I and so I called up my spiritual teacher, um, Althea, who's one of the top herbalists in the country and an acupuncturist, and at that point lived just a few blocks away. And I said, I don't want to be like Tom. Uh, you know, I I know that I need to be around somebody. I'm that sick. So I was able to get up, and she picked me up in her car and ensconced me in a in a. Uh, uh, a uh, um, a Davenport up uh, up on uh, in her living room and um, and uh, I just got worse uh, that evening. I I actually mm-hmm. started to lose my mental abilities and I was talking nonsense. And they said we're going to bring you to the hospital. And I said, don't bring me to this hospital. Bring me to this other one, which is where all my records were. Which I realized now that after so many years, the records were in deep storage and didn't matter much. But um, long story short, um, what happened was I had um, 
heart surgery back in 1993. That was my second one. And I had an artificial heart valve on my aorta. That's the main output valve. And for you astrologers, uh, my south node is conjunct my sun, which is the astrological signature for that problem. And, um, and what wound up happening was when I was seven, they sliced the valve so it would open more. And when I was in 93, the valve had gotten so much calcium on it that they just went in and gave me a, a high-tech carbon-based replacement. But what had happened was I got an infection on that valve, and the valve actually started to close up. I didn't get enough circulation down to my kidneys. Um, I was in kidney failure. And then the vegetation, uh, the infection on the valve broke off, went up to my brain, caused lots of little strokes and one major stroke, which started to hemorrhage. And um, that was all discovered when I, when I went into Illinois Masonic Hospital. And um, uh, thank God, Illinois Masonic, they, 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 they were not guilty of hubris. They, they said, we can't handle him. Let's send him over to Loyola. And uh, I was in Loyola Hospital for a month in the intensive care unit, which um, basically uh, maxed out my Obamacare, which is what I had at the time, and um, uh, which means that I made uh, the, the bill was probably a million dollars because mm-hmm. uh, what they did was they performed uh, my third open heart surgery, went in and replaced the valve and the very top of the heart. Um, which was all messed up from the infection. And they actually did a brain surgery on me because that hemorrhagic stroke had caused um, more fluid in my brain and the pressure was going up, so they had to put in a drain there. So I've got this little divot in my skull now. And, uh, and so I was being watched very carefully in the ICU. And they give you this interesting drug called fentanyl <laughs> for your pain. And... Um, and what wound up happening was um, I had some really interesting hallucinations and uh, was very frustrated by being tied down and having the nurses call me Mr. Salami. <laughs> and since I had a, a tube down my throat and couldn't even talk uh, because my lungs had failed also, uh, I couldn't even tell them my, my favorite joke that, no, I'm only Mr. Salami to my closest girlfriends. <laughs> but uh, in any case, um, but it after, that, after that, I went to another hospital where I got off of the ventilator, and uh, then I went to a marvelous hospital out in Wheaton. It's called Marion Joy. When I got there, it took two people to get me from the wheelchair to the bed. And by the time I was done there after a month, I was able to do all of that with a walker, which was pretty good recovery for a month. I had had speech therapy twice a day, not because I couldn't speak, but because I couldn't logic things out anymore. I couldn't even add a column of numbers together because that part of my brain was affected. And, uh, and so I came close to dying from six different things. One of the others was something called disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, which means that I was clotting up in my brain but because all the clotting factors went up there, there weren't any in the rest of my body, so I was bleeding in other places. Ten years ago, nobody lived through that. And uh, I think, seriously, the community came together for me. 
Um, word went out. A lot of folks did workings for me. Um, I had a couple of my friends who were Gnostic bishops doing uh, um, rituals, uh, masses to the Archangel Raphael for me. I had a lot of folks at which school were, were praying for me. I had my sister's Pentecostal group. Uh, my, my sister's a Pentecostal minister. Uh, she she had them praying for me as well as my hardcore Lutherans in in, in Lower Michigan and uh, those are my cousins and uh, and I even had somebody doing medicine Buddha meditations I think as well as um, the wonderful folks at the occult bookstore who are friends of mine uh, they did some uh, some African diaspora type rituals for me. And all of that, I managed to thread the needle because I, I really did come very, very close to dying there. And um, afterwards, so, I, I me, obviously had let me stop you right there no income. Right and yeah. Okay. So um, let me tell you a little bit from, from my point of view uh, of this history. Thank you for sharing that. And we want to get a little bit more into it. Uh, and, and some of the things you can do to help Alan out today. I mean, because Alan's still here for a reason. Oh, my God, to, to have survived not only three different life-threatening moments in your life, but then this last one yeah. was like you were on the verge of changing your life. You're going to become much more because of your knowledge. You're going to become much more a teacher at that moment. And then you mm-hmm. had to face this real challenge. And I think one of the challenges I think that people may have seen is that you were one of the few people you had. You're right. Everybody prayed. We uh, called up the crystal web. If you want to take a look at uh, Peggy's Night episodes during that period of time, Almost every show for like three weeks was mentioning Alan. Um, uh, so you had a lot of people out of it. And one of those reasons I think more than anything else is why people wanted to pray. I wanted you to be around because I think they enjoy having you around. You're somebody that is, the world is better for having in. Um, I know right after that you did a GoFundMe campaign. You're so, and your financial struggles with pagans, this is universal, right? Is that you basically yeah. are one of the saddest parts of our communities that we have financial uh, situations that I'm screaming about. I mean, everybody knows my soapbox. Gaia Thrift is one of my answers. We're going to get started on that. We are. GaiaThrift.com. You can always go to that. And that's a project. Um, but let me continue. So you, you get out of the hospital. You're alive. And people have been praying for you. You get out of the hospital and then talk about next. You're about to. Well, um, what... What wound up happening once I got out was I was in a nursing home for six months um, because at that point I was still on dialysis. And uh, one of the things that I have as a complaint about the medical field is they started me on hemodialysis, uh, which is dialysis where you, you have a, a catheter into your bloodstream. And uh, they didn't even talk to me about the, the options that I would have had if, if I go home. And they immediately started me on this whole thing where I was going to get this thing put into my arm. It's called a shunt. And uh, the only reason I got saved from that was that because I had 15, 20 years as a medical social worker and I knew about medical procedures, um, the doctors are so intent on hemodialysis because they make a tremendous amount of money from it. There's another way of doing dialysis, which you can do at home. It's called peritoneal, and it's been around for much longer. And um, I was trying to get set up for that. But long story short, um, 
I, it was long enough that because my kidneys had been acutely injured, they they hadn't been they hadn't been attacked because of blood pressure or something like that that was more chronic. My kidneys actually recovered enough that I was able to get off dialysis. But um, that happened after I got out of the nursing home. I was in a nursing home where they provided dialysis, and uh, part of the problems with that nursing home was um, their food was absolutely awful. So I, I came across the the strategy of, of taking pictures of, of my horrible meals <laughs> at least once a day and posting them on Facebook. And um, what, what, one of the better things that happened was I had one thing where all of the food that day was white. And I don't even, I don't even know exactly what it was, but it looked awful. And I posted it. And my friend out in, in, um, in California, who many of you may know, uh, Lon, Lon Milo Duquette, reposted it and said, could somebody in Chicago help feed this man? And, uh, and somebody ordered me takeout Chinese, which I was, I was in my glory for that day. So, um, so that was, that and that's was it, that's it. there. And then through, then through some special programs, I, I wound up getting an apartment uh, actually in Evanston. I'm in downtown Evanston now. And uh, there's a federal program that helps to pay for some of my rent. And, uh, and because I was so ill with obvious things, uh, I didn't have the usual problems getting on Social Security disability that a lot of people have. It was pretty much automatic for me. So that was a blessing. And um, at this point, uh, that's my major income aside from uh, reading tarot cards on Friday nights where sometimes it's hit or miss. <laughs> so. Um, so let, so me, I've, let, I've, let well, me offer – stop right there. So how sure. do people contact you if they want to contact you? Oh, the easiest way is probably through Facebook. I'm one, uh, there's okay. only about three Ellen Salmi's. Um, one of them is down in, in Florida. Um, I don't mm-hmm. even think he's on Facebook, uh, but he shoots caribou up in, <laughs> up in Canada or something. There's another Alan Salmi who's a student out in um, – Minnesota, another one who's in the Upper Peninsula, but he's um, he's a ham radio guy. He's Al Harley Ryder, saw me. But for A L A N S A L M I, easy way to catch me is on Facebook. Um, the other thing is they could they can easily send me an email, Alan dot me at gmail dot com. So, yeah, and okay. the thing that I I offer to everybody if you have questions, especially about medical stuff medical procedures um if you're caught in the hospital and you don't know what they're doing um or you want to know what your rights are uh, drop me a line um i'm i'm here to help i've got all this knowledge and uh and i've been able to help a lot of folks sometimes just talking with me for five minutes i can give you the information you need that you won't you won't even know where to go for so uh, now, hopefully, I won't get totally flooded with stuff, but keep that in mind for the future. And um, one of the things I'm hoping to do for the community is I'm hoping to develop a, an entire workshop on on just dealing with medical stuff. And um, I'm being in, inducted into the Masons Tuesday, and I'm I'm hoping to do that for the Masons in Illinois. And I'll I'll kind of develop that workshop, and maybe uh, it might be something that I can do and do around the country and, and teach folks uh, so that 
if you know someone who's in the hospital, you'll know that much more if you take my workshop. So that's yet another thing that I want to do. I yeah. think that'd be a great yeah. workshop. I think I think I think almost any I think anybody would love to see here that that's a very important one to our times. So that's something that you specialize well, in. I think it's also important for anybody who's pagan clergy, because you're going to have someone oh. in in your group, uh, whatever you call it, a coven or a temple or whatever. Uh, you're going to have to deal with people who are sick, and uh, knowing about power of attorney for healthcare, knowing what people's rights are, uh, knowing that, as happened to me, I asked a nurse, what are you going to do when you, when you take these tubes out? And she said, oh, it's okay, you're young, and yanked them out. And just knowing, oh, that was assault, I could have had her arrested. And she didn't give me informed consent on a procedure, which was an ethics violation. So I'll be teaching people about those kinds of things, what are your rights, and you're right to know things and and that type of thing. So, you know, there's a there's a lot yeah, there and, and absolutely. Yep. And um, and I think people should help. So, if you want to help Alan, same way to contact him. I think to anyone out there, young people who really want to start figuring out things that you want to teach and how to structure, give Alan a call for that mm-hmm. too. Um, because yeah. I think there's a lot. Of, Alan has got because Alan's got some exciting projects and things. We're not going to get all to them, but me and Alan are going to take this to a different place. So most people don't know. Me and Alan, well, yes, of course you do, because it was one of the most popular radio shows within the Pagans Tonight radio network, and that is Pagan Science Radio. Uh, it was quite a show that, um, long before you know, everything else. And people don't realize that Alan and I share a love of science as well as magic. We are always looking for ways to match science to magic. Hmm? It's a lot of fun. And, of course, my my knowledge of science went way before my knowledge of religion. I was, you know, as a little kid, I was watching the Apollo space shots and everything, which we just had the 50th anniversary of. And, and I thought that I might go into science as something. But uh, but then I got interested in people and psychology, and, I, and, and that led me into a different direction. But I've always kept up with science and Going to science fiction conventions, I've met scientists from all over. Uh, matter of fact, one of my one of the people that I that I met that I'm I'm most happy about is uh, I've met the um, the guy who is the head of the Vatican Observatory. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Guy Consolago, he's a PhD astronomer who's a Jesuit brother, and he's in a a, a science fiction group, a social group with me. Um, so he actually knows the Pope too. So I'm only, <laughs> so I'm a pagan with with two degrees of separation from the Pope, which is really kind of amusing. Um, but I have friends that if I have some question about uh, physics or something, um, I could just send them a note on Facebook or something, or give them a call and and say, you know, what's this new thing, this new state of matter or whatever. And uh, and they don't talk down to me. They know that I know enough to give me basic explanations and such. And, uh, and it's been great because, uh, you know, I, I, I remember a conversation with you, Ed, years ago where you were talking about how the biggest vector and the biggest change forces in, in the world have not really been political, especially in the fifth, last 50 years or so. They have been technological and scientific. 
And I think it behooves everybody to keep track of what's going on in science because, you know, I heard about um, nanotechnology in 1980, which is when I saw my first hyperlink. And that was because I knew people in, in computer science who actually had hyperlinks in their, in their computers in, in their house in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all things. And, um, and so none of this stuff really caught me by surprise. And uh, I wish people had told me about Bitcoin earlier. <laughs> you know, Don't but we all? I Actually, on that one. <laughs> so w- one of our young temple leaders, uh, Liz Hamilton, to this day, she, she called the Claxton cry, and everybody would have paid attention to her, including herself. We would be all much in a much different game. Liz would be in a different game, Liz Hamilton, who's uh, well-known. And, and on my other show, sure. I'm going to be coming up. Um, I'm getting back into the broadcasting. I do believe technology leads. Um, I've been historically correct on that. And uh, thank you for mentioning that, Alan. Yeah, I do. I still believe that technology leads, I think, in our pagan community. So what do you know about Evregors? I'm going to take so. 73 days to the, the crystal oracle that I'm doing. But what do you know about egregores? So you have this deep knowledge. Well, here's yeah. the way that I think about it. And really one of the best models for that comes from uh, Bonowitz's work. Now, if you look up egregore in the dictionary or in occult things, you, you'll, you'll see that it's sort of a spirit or an entity that's in charge of or or affiliated with certain kinds of things for for instance you might have an egregor for the golden dawn system or an egregor for um enochian magic or you know it's kind of a group mind or a spirit that is the essence and you could almost think of it as like the place in the in the cloud in the spiritual cloud where these things exist and it's actually a very old concept. If you look at Plato, he had his whole concept of um, of archetypes of of forms, which uh, which Carl Jung actually took and called archetypes. Um, but the the interesting thing that Bonowitz said is that these egregores can be worked with, and as people worship and work with those energies, they get closer to them, and they get more connected to them, and what, what I do is I, uh, when I'm doing a class, I tell people, okay, look, at, if we got everybody worshiping Herman the Great Green Frog, and Herman the Great Green Frog was the god or the spirit of helping you to swim, and people spent time with daily meditations, and then, then this, this spirit of Herman the Great Green Frog would, would gain energy and when you were out in the pond and you had got a cramp and you asked Herman for help, then you tap into the energy and your cramp goes away. And there's a miracle. And there's more people that believe in, in Herman as a result. Now, an interesting thing about that is I can recommend a Carrie Pratchett novel for this, too. There's a marvelous novel called Small Gods in which he, he, he does a complete humorous fantasy thing about this. But uh, it follows along with some of Bonowitz's ideas and in, in regular occultism that there are these mental constructs or gods or something uh, that you can tap into, and the more people that believe in them, the stronger they get. So that's that's kind of my uh, my take on it. Uh, Stavish, S-T-A-V-I-S-H, 
just put out a book on egregores and uh, he's a very good thinker. I haven't picked it up yet, but it's been one of those things that I, I want to pick up and read. Uh, and he probably knowing him, he, he probably goes even more in depth into that subject. So he would be a, a go-to source for that. You know? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, my black moon egregore has now gotten out of control. Um, it's growing. If anyone knows, because uh, back in '90s, you know, back in the '90s, you know, we did Black Moon Theater and we were doing Black Moon rituals. We're the first to mention it, as you know, some of the historians have recorded. Dorothy Morrison then picked, uh, did it in her uh, her books, and prior to that, there is no occult mention of the Black Moon as in a serious form. From that point sure. on, it became part of our community. Absolutely, and that's an egregore for me. It was a construct. It was a spirit of the idea that there was one more fa- there was one more idea of the moon. The idea of the black moon, the idea of a moon that's beyond dark moon. It was the idea of the opposite of the blue moon. People always wanted to know where it came from. It was the idea of the opposite of the blue moon. The blue moon was supposed to be lucky and all that. I said, well, why can't the black moon be just as equally as lucky? Well, you have to have a certain filter to be, feel like you're lucky in a Mercury retrograde, which I do. Right. I always feel very lucky in a Mercury retrograde. Hmm? And well, um, I, the reason I'm asking you. I have Mercury retrograde in my natal chart. And for people yeah. that are born yeah. with it, we're much more used to it. We're used to being able to wander through our thoughts and, and go strange directions, but still wind up with the same right conclusion. You know, we just right. wander interesting pathways to get to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. As your life dictates, right? This is your way your life is. So you're a deep astrologer and everything else, and I've already set the time for it. So as you've been, as everybody's been hearing, I'm building an egregor right now, a new one, brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, 73 days. Uh, there's a group called the Crystal Oracle. It's called the Crystal Oracle. It's going to be art, and it's going to be technology, and it's going to be science. Um, I think that I'm on to something, and it's going to be a whole new theory and things like that. In 73 days, at the beginning of the Mercury retrograde, 11:41 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, at 10:31:91 is the time of the Mercury retrograde. Surprisingly, the same day Brexit is supposed to happen. Um, yeah, really. We're beginning. We're going to begin this oracle called the Crystal Oracle for prophecy and prediction. And um, it's going to be utilizing the crystal web. We're adding crystals and things to the crystal web, which started in Chicago. The version we're using, the main beginning, the mother crystals are in Chicago um, under a tree, uh, 8888, right after the year after the harmonic convergence. And that's why I'm asking, and Alan, of course, is uh, part of everybody else and is part of part of the group about creating this idea. And it's interesting. So if you've ever had an interest in creating something that might actually come to pass, because I am now determined not to have any more uh, UPGs, but I want to have something that we can all detect. So I'm starting to create an egregore that I'm hoping will cross into cyberspace. Think about it. Yeah, where can people learn more about this project, Ed? Um, you can go to the Great Crystal Web. You really, it's, it's who you know right now. It's a who you know process. Hmm? Okay. We haven't brought it out to the – this is really like an insider type of thing. We haven't brought it to the public quite yet because hmm? we want to make sure before we bring so it to the public. You're we have still a, in the beginning uh, phase and still kind of keeping it uh, just as a seedling and kind of watering the seedling. Well, it's a little further than that. It comes out of my Starwood experience. Hmm? Oh. Um, so people uh, I've only talked a little bit about it but in a little bit 
is that when I went to Starwood, I was really broken in a lot of different ways. Um, damaged in a lot of ways. My magic was damaged as much as, um, as my real life was damaged. And everybody knows it was in the newspaper. I mean, nobody's hidden. I was, at, I was battling the nation against the city of Chicago. And they didn't agree. They agree with me for five years and decided they didn't agree with me anymore and took really harsh actions against me in an election year. I went to start with Broken. And then I had an experience with a spirit. And out of that experience of Starway, I came back with my vision being full color. And then I did the Crystal Web, 31 years anniversary. Yeah, I was colorblind before that. It's just kind of one of those things that, yeah, I don't want to gloss over. Just like yourself, what you had healed from just, and not even equate the same, they're not even the same thing to my psychology, probably, but not to the same thing. But you've survived strokes and heart attacks, and you're there. And you're still here, very, very knowledgeable, still much, very much a channel of energy. Which shows me that the spirit is more than just the body. The mind is more than just the body. And um, oh yeah, I've had, and I've had visions of this idea of Victor Oracle, and I've had all sorts of visions that's made out of crystal and stone. And I realized that for the first time in my life, I really want to create a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Mercury retrograde of Halloween is when I want to do it. I want to create this crystal web, which I've created crystal web. But I want to create this base and this staff. And this vision of people coming together to do an oracle, just like the great uh, world tarot reading, you know, the worldwide tarot reading I did hmm? a couple of years ago. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I want to have prophecy. But then I, and then it came to me that the, the spirits that started with it told me that, you know, that, you know to, to do so, I need to, it's not enough to have prophecy, but I also want to put in protection. And so right. I'm hoping that you, like anyone else, so if you go to Facebook, there's a closed group called the crystal web or the crystal oracle uh, builders creators, crystal oracle creators. If you're really interested in joining the project, you can go there. You can go to the great crystal web. You can go to my page at Ed, Ed the pagan, no, Ed Hubbard. Um, lots of pages out there. Mm-hmm. This is a project. So a lot of places, a little bit. Mm-hmm. but you have to find us a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. because I want, and that part of that's part of the experiment too, because this is what it is. So you know about it. So we're setting up sympathetic spirits in Chicago. Um, the reason why we're doing this radio station and this radio show, because you have made a commitment kind of more or less, because you're so knowledgeable. knowledgeable. I want to uh, start, you know, kind of wrapping up because I think even though we can talk forever, I think that, I think, I think there's one more thing I think people should know about you and about Chicago. Um, you're now a fully ordained priest. Uh, you can do weddings, anything you want. I mean, you literally are, are by the law, able to do any religious service you want. Hmm. Right. Exactly. So anyone needs anything? Exactly. If you so so so, Alan, and this is something very important. And you can and train psychologists. So if anyone needs those type of services, and Alan wants to go to chaplaincy, why don't you talk a little bit about your chaplaincy? And I hope people will sponsor you on this. Hmm. Well, yeah, what um, what I discovered is that um, for years when I was working at Illinois Masonic Hospital, we didn't have any chaplains. And uh, just as I was finishing up there and I, I went to, to work on, uh, I, I bought into a program. I, I was actually running a school that taught massage and herbalism. And just as I was shifting into that, they started to put chaplains in. And I got interested in what this chaplaincy process was, especially um, uh, with everything that Patrick McCollum had done and all the rest. And so what I discovered is 
that chaplaincy training is actually very inexpensive. Um, for a, for one unit, which is either a semester or a quarter, depending on where you are, it's less than $500. And what they do is they have you in classes with other people of other different faiths who are doing this chaplaincy training. And you go through a lot of what are your own reactions to death and dying. If you're going to go and talk to somebody who's dying, you know, you've got to understand your own stuff about that. But also they train you in how to deal with these existential problems. They don't try and cure them. And, you know, and as a psychotherapist, um, I try to get people to the place where this doesn't bother them anymore. But what the chaplains do is they get you to find the meaning in what's going on with you. And that case, there's almost there's there's almost a healing kind of process in that because if we find meaning in things, we can oftentimes make it through almost anything if there's enough meaning. And uh, and I reference uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, how he made it through the the death camps that the Nazis had because he found meaning in his life. Wonderful book. Um, but what I want to do is my old hospital actually has one of these chaplaincy trainings. So I found out that uh, I just have to download a, a huge application, fill it out, and uh, I'm thinking of doing just one semester of this, and uh, that would actually put me in contact with other people. Some of them are in seminary. A uh, good, good number of people uh, in seminaries take these trainings. Um, more than likely they would be Christians, but the thing about chaplains is you have to um, you have to work with whoever comes to you. And even when I was a social worker at Illinois Masonic, I was sort of the go-to person. If, if somebody had an odd religion, they would tell me, Alan, we've got somebody who thinks that he's cursed and he's African. Can you go and see him? You know, or we have this one person who wants a pagan priest, and that wound up that's a whole other story. I, I wound up actually that evening meeting a big Hollywood star and because of that. And there were all sorts of amazing things that happened. But um, but I want to be a pagan presence there because these other people in the chaplaincy training have to know how to deal with other religions. And most Christians think that the way that you are saved is is through somebody else's work, which is Jesus. Jesus does all the work for you. He went and got hung on the cross, etc. Whereas most other religions in the world, including the pagan paths, you're responsible for your own salvation. You have to do the work. You have to balance your nature. You have to, you know, worship the gods and keep in tune with the, with the seasons and that sort of thing. And I want to be a spokesperson for that, that kind of, um, viewpoint so that these chaplains in training get that idea that there are other ways to view things too. And also I want to pick up um, how do they deal with these things? How do they help people find meaning? Because uh, that was not something that was, that was pushed so much in the, um, the psychotherapy trainings that I had. So it's, it's yet another interesting point that I can stretch myself in. And, um, and I'm hoping because of my limitations, because I've had a stroke and that sort of thing, I'm hoping that I can do at least some of this sort of part-time um, because, you know, having as much energy, I don't have as much energy as I used to. 
but I'm hoping that they can accommodate me and everything. And um, I'm thinking of actually uh, doing another GoFundMe so that the pagan community can support me in this. It won't take very much, but I will blog then about what it's like to be in this program. And uh, and I think it would be useful for, for everybody to know this. There's a few pagans that have gone through these trainings, and it would encourage others, you know. So if any of your pagan programs out there, if your group has ever wanted to start up a scholarship, I'm going to start talking a lot about how we do community buildings. If you have like a scholarship or want to make a thing, um, there's ways to make donations to Alan for this project, mm-hmm. including if you want to make a sizable one that can actually be tax deductible. A lot of people are behind mm-hmm. Alan to do his type of work. So, Alan, you should do the GoFundMe. And not only that, people who are interested should contact you and let us know that they would be willing to fund this because it would be very, very good for our pagan community, especially here in the heart of Chicago, where what Chicago does, the world copies. I hate to say it, but it's true. Uh, you'll find more and more about that being true across the uh, across as we explore more and more of the pagan world. Right. No, I really want people for to get project, this. Um, for this project, once uh, once I'm accepted and everything, I will put out the word on how people can can donate to it and everything, and uh, and just how I'm going to structure this and whatnot. But I don't want to start it until I get word that I'm in. <laughs> so. Um, but I'll, I'll let people know Absolutely. through the usual channels and, and all the rest and talk more about it as we get closer to it. Absolutely. Um, so I just let, let's leave it with one last question. Um, so we, we've, no, we've learned a lot about Alan today. He's lived. He's died. He's been brought back. He has lots of interests. He's met people all over the world. He's single. He's open to any number of relationships. He is, you know, um, he's binary male, so we were with that part, but he, he loves everybody. He has been a deeply, strangely interfaith, intercultural, intercommunicator, and we're not even getting into his Masonic stuff. So my last question to you is that people have asked me, and this is my conspiracy question to you, is, is there such a thing as the Illuminati? Is there such thing as the Illuminati? Ah, yes. Well, we know very much that there used to be. As a matter of fact, their rituals were just published last year in a hardcover book. Um, they were a group in Bavaria that a guy named Adam Weishaupt had founded. And he, he was, it was a secret group within the Freemasons, and they were going to try and, and uh, overthrow the Bavarian government. Um, from there, there have been nothing but legends <laughs> and uh, there's all these stories that there are Illuminati here and there and that they're secretly running things. You will find a couple of places online where uh, you can join for $500 or something, and they'll give you a certificate saying that you're a member of the Illuminati. <laughs> but um, uh, as far as I know, um, there are conspiracies. Obviously, there are conspiracies because – if you look at how governments are overthrown, there have been coup d'etats all throughout the last hundred years, and those are conspiracies. Uh, whether there's a conspiracy of, of high-level Freemasons um, that run things, um, probably not, because my sense is it would probably be a better world if, if Masons were doing something to, to run stuff. Um, they have some influence. They had a lot of influence on the American Revolution. Um, they try and do their best, for instance, Shriner Hospitals for Children, 
Um, if your kid needs uh, surgery and they have some kind of disability, they will do everything for you for free. Um, so they contribute in their own little ways, and, uh, and they help with scholarships and other kinds of things. Um, but the current Illuminati stuff, um, I am highly skeptical. But to learn more, you know, read some Robert Anton Wilson and see what you think after that. <laughs> you know, um, he he was very involved in looking at it all, and uh, and his uh, his books uh, uh, were were highly entertaining, and and they will be a gateway for you to think and get outside of the box kind of thinking. Um, I was happy to meet him a couple of times at Starwood and. Uh, and when he gave a private seminar here in, in Chicago. And I actually have the Illuminatus Trilogy signed by him and the other author, um, which is one of my prized possessions. But, um, uh, but as far as I know, uh, the big, big Illuminati conspiracy like you find in some right-wing sites and all of that is, is mostly something to scare people, in my opinion. But who knows? Maybe somebody will come to me and say, Alan, we're going to make you an Illuminati, and, and then I'll really know. <laughs> but then you couldn't tell us either, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Then you couldn't tell no, us. No, if I told you, I'd probably have to die. So. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, there, there you go. Um, and that is. So so thank you for being on Chicago Pegasus, being on the first one. As you know, um, we're developing the idea that Alan spends a lot of time working about different ways of developing community. Um You've heard Twilight, so remember, we have in September, we have two great upcoming events, the four-day Nature's Magic with Phyllis Crock coming to Chicago, and they're still looking for sponsorships. Uh, $150 gets you an amazing package. I mean, you really want to have a package. I think it's the steal. I think it's the biggest steal. Um, you should buy a scholarship for Dallin to go. Absolutely. Um, I'm telling everybody, buy If you can't go or you have money, $150. Sponsor this thing. Go through Twilight at ChicagoPaganPride.org, and you, it's the best deal in, I, I've seen in a very long time. Hmm? Phyllis is one of our great pagan thinkers. I really respect her and and the ideas that she puts out. Um, I recommend her new book, Beginning Wicca, which is available on Kindle, uh, very inexpensive, and it's really Wicca gets you into easy, the right? feeling. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, it's got a title like Beginning Wicca, and then the subtitles Wicca Made Easy, something like that. But if you look up Phyllis yeah. Karat, um, you'll be able to find it. Um, I've, I've gotten about halfway through it, and it's all about finding the divine in nature, which is the basis of this whole faith, of, of all of the pagan faiths, really. And uh, And it's the great place to start instead of just looking up spell books and things like that. Um, she really helps mm-hmm. you find the magic inside of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, so absolutely. And then of course, Pagan Pride on September 28th at the uh, 2543, the Q4, uh, West Chicago at the Q4 Center. Bring food, bring food, bring food. We want, to get, we want to donate so many people. People who listen to this, we want to bring so much food this year. We want to make sure that the Lakeview Food Pantry, which receives this food, has enough to feed every mouth that they have to handle, and they have an awful lot of mouths to handle. Let's make that miracle happen. Um, so, Alan, you get to ask the last question of the day. Uh, what would you like our? What would you like to know from our audience from their replies? 
um, talking to us. Hmm? What would I like to know? Um, yes, it could be self, it could be micro, it could be macro. Um, what is it that you need in order to join the pagan community in Chicago? Do you need to know things are safe? Do you need to know referrals? Do you need to know what groups are there? Do you need to know what opportunities are out there? Um, do you need to know who the good teachers are? Um, what is it that you need that would push you over the line to really get more involved in this marvelous community? Because there's some great people that are part of this whole mystical, magical community and uh, they're out there. They could be supportive to you on your spiritual path. Terrific. Well, there you go. And I think that's a great ending question. Uh, I want to thank you, Alan, for being on the show. Uh, bright blessings. Our next show is going to be Tuesday at 8 o'clock with Melanie Silver, another lifelong friend of mine from the 90s. And we're going to talk, I think we're going to talk Gen X. I think we're going to talk about Gen X, paganism in Chicago. Um, We'll see. Um, but, Alan, thanks for being Melanie here. Melanie is a and great resource. She's Melanie's been great. around he, for quite some time, and she's been involved in oh, a absolutely. lot of different projects. Yeah. Nin- 1990s, that sort of thing. Oh, I think that – so one last note. People ask me why am I doing the Chicago Peg and how fast am I doing it. I'm going to do a couple of um, – I have really trying to explain to people. We're in a very different type of reality. So I can hopefully – I'm going to do shows as often as I can. I don't have a set time for them. That's why this is happening in the middle of the afternoon because we're comfortable with this. So if you know somebody that you want to hear about and you know their contact information, have them send it to me at Paganics, P-A-G-A-N-I-C-S at gmail.com, and uh, I will be happy to talk to people of Chicago and have the people of Chicago hopefully listen in. With that, uh, let it be, and say goodbye, Alan. Goodbye, Alan. (laughs) See you later. Bright blessings to everyone.